0: Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, SSNC and Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, or best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to see how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now.
1: Hello everyone, I'm Brad Hairston with ss Blue Prism. Welcome to the Transform Now podcast. Today, I am very happy to have as my guest and ex-colleague, Gary Smith, who is with the AI company QuantiFind now, where he is Vice President of Strategic Sales and Partner Development. Gary and I will be discussing what quantifying is all about, and we'll also talk about a very interesting use case they are solving in the pharmaceutical supply chain area. Gary, it's great to have you back. Welcome. Why don't you give us a little introduction?
2: Yeah. Thanks, Brad. It's it's absolutely fantastic to be here. I always enjoy being a guest on your show and talking with you. Like, I'm sure we could stretch this into a three or four hour broadcast if we needed. <laughs> I've been over at Quantified now for just over three and a half months, and uh, Quantifying is really engaged predominantly with banking, financial services, and insurers, certainly a lot of the stuff around the Bank Secrecy Act, the BSA, but we also do quite a, a good amount of work with a number of the agencies in the United States government from the DOD through to the uh, three letter acronym intelligence agencies that uh, we're not supposed to reference and some work more recently with the uh, Department of Homeland Security and, and
1: Texas a Fantastic. Well, it's really awesome to have you on. I should have mentioned that you've been on the podcast twice before, yeah. and both were really, really fun, engaging discussions, especially the first one. It was called Automation is Not the End Game of RPA, which was yeah. at the time, probably the most provocative title. Theoretical. But it was, uh, it was great. I, I just ate it up and, and our listeners really, really enjoyed that. So, so I'm really glad, really glad to have you back with your, with your new gig. And that's what we're here to talk about. So yeah. let's find out what Quantified is all about. Can you just start with an overview of, of your, your company yep. and, and your value proposition? That would be great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That that's great. Thanks, Brad. And, and it's funny because it will come as no surprise. A lot of what quantifying is targeting isn't too dissimilar to what Blue Prism did in the early days and, and continues to do now is SS and C Blue Prism. You know, effectively, if I go way back in the time machine to early 2009, late 2008, two, two quantum physicists, Ari Tukman, who is a professor at Stanford University. And John Stockton, who is a, a quantum physics professor at, at Caltech, knew each other, and they were doing some work in what we refer to internally as signal intelligence. and that was work they were doing with the National Science Foundation in signal extraction, particularly names and and elements in unstructured data, right And unstructured data as, as we know in our world, Brad, is really the Holy Grail, right. Mm-hmm. Well, So that was really kind of the starting point back in early 2009. The work coming out of that actually hit the radar of a couple of government agencies. And the work that began to be done there was basically how do you find a landmine or an improvised explosive device, the so called IED, a roadside bomb, effectively. And uh, John and Ari were put to task on how to do that. And they did quite an incredible job. They basically, we're sampling air above soil and bringing in the trillion molecules. and And they only needed to find that one molecule of explosive in that trillion. So it was a huge exercise in maintaining the identifier of that one element or the explosive elements, right? And then how do I separate out all that noise of a trillion so that I get to the one and do that very, very, very quickly because... They're moving troops, they're moving convoys, and they can't sit still for two or three or four minutes because they become open targets, right? So the success of that was really what launched us. And then, of course, it became, okay, how do we turn this into a commercially viable product? And, And for us, that became how we went down the path of going into name science with signal extraction and the unstructured data. Those three pillars kind of form up in my mind who we as an organization are. We're just doing that in a lot of cases with names, names of individuals, names of companies. Okay. And then we have, you know, 16 different ethno-linguistic groups that I can say, okay, well, Brad Hairston isn't a terribly common name in the United States. It is certainly rare everywhere else. And we assign a value to that and can and it can actually follow you around if we just know your name, maybe the town that you live in, or at least the state or the country that you live in. Uh, yeah. And i are very, very adapt by using name science in getting underneath things.
1: Interesting. And so, Gary, I think you're focused primarily on financial services and, and public sector. Are there other verticals that you guys are pursuing as well? Yeah, right. It's
2: a great question, Brad, because we've wrestle with it on a daily basis internally. We've tried to stick to our knitting, particularly around banking, financial services, insurance, and then the work that we're doing, not just certainly with the government of the United States, but but also several other governments are mm-hmm. uh, it's hard, right? We're in a growth mode and by remaining focused, we're really hoping to make sure that we pay the attention that's due to those clients in those areas. And then as we grow out organically, we'll look to expand other segments of the business.
1: Okay, gotcha. You mentioned the the two co-founders being quantum physicists, yeah, which uh, which makes my head hurt a bit. As I read more and more about Quantifying, I kept seeing this phrase "fusion chain" yeah, which, show up, and it and it described it as kind of the secret sauce behind the the AI of of Quantifying. Can you can you attempt to explain that for us here, just so we understand that and. Talk to me like I'm a sixth grader, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, no, that's
2: great. It's funny because when you speak to Ari or John, they've got decided opinions on this. And one of the other people in the organization, he's our chief operating officer, Graham Bailey. Mm -hmm. He's got a practitioner's view of it, which he is extremely interesting to listen to. And not to plug up another podcast, but he had been on the Association for... Certified Financial Crimes, it's the ACFCS, basically. Okay. A couple months ago, they, they had talked about this very topic. And then the fusion mm-hmm. chain really is it's interesting because what it represents is, it, in the context of banking in particular, it represents the notion of sharing knowledge across risk and criminal activities right whether that's money laundering know your customer know your entity it's bringing all that together because typically the way that most organizations function now as we know and this is true at a microcosm of organizations but also at a macrocosm of the government right it's yes it's, it's just taking a, a different type of the view but basically there isn't a lot of sharing that goes on between lines of business always there's different products that are running the same types of functions. A lot of the banks and insurers are getting much, much better at it. And that was, you know, as you were reading about the fusion chain on, as we talk about it, what we're looking to enable is how do you bring together collectively all of the elements of the risk function, right? And the, and the criminal activity tracking capabilities Mm -hmm. of, of investigations, how you bring it all together so that onboarding and wealth management knows exactly what onboarding and retail banking knows, or that insurance knows, right? right. So that you're seeing the same things. Brad and I look at this and, and you ask a great question because actually more broadly, when do we make the move to the, the real fusion chain of fusion chains in my mind, which is a marketplace mm-hmm. where banks and insurers and governments can go and see what each other is seeing and sharing. Right. Because only then are we actually getting the the benefit and the, and the the massive lift of, Mm. you know, I'm looking for Gary Smith and he's in the United States. Right. How do I get to the Gary Smith I'm looking for before I onboard him? And he represents a huge risk to my business. Right. And I'm banking the wrong person or insuring somebody that's wandering money that's come from human trafficking or uh, wildlife trafficking, all, all those elements. So, yeah. That's really what the fusion chain is moving them toward.
1: Yeah. Okay. It's, it's a lot more common sense than science or, you know, I, I was exactly the answer that was highly like, you know, intricate and and scientific. So
2: I think that could be one of the reasons they hired me. I, I lowered the overall IQ and
1: I think <laughs> the average age. Yeah. I highly doubt that. Let me ask you, so in order to detect fraud or bad actors in business processes, like obtaining a large loan from a bank, for example. Why is AI so advantageous over traditional due diligence and other methods that have been used in the past to do know your customer processing?
2: Yeah, yeah it's, it, Brad, that comes right to the heart of what we're about. And, and what I love about it is that It implies that there is a worthwhile difference in pursuing. One of the challenges that we face every day is confusion with all of the the competitive tool sets that are out there. And kind of like what you and I were doing when when I was with you over at at Blue Prism, we had people thinking in an old kind of, and I never loved this word that much, that old model or paradigm, right? And, you know, Blue Prism had completely invented a new category. That is exactly what what quantifying has done. The AI, and if we look at the AI and we put a really as tight of a definition around it as we can, because AI can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people, but if we look at it basically as the intelligence that a machine has in terms of understanding language, whether it's through natural language recognition, natural language generation, natural language understanding, uh, computer vision to see and read a document. And then create inferences to chug through reams and reams and reams of data, you know, that that are on a scale that no group of a thousand humans could ever manage. Correct. That's what really comes out in this. So we've come at it from a very different point. And And to your question, it really is the intersection of where does AI actually give lift to what humans are doing? And it's, it's the same thing that at Blue Prism, we would have termed as that kind of human in the loop thing, right? Mm -hmm. Humans that are in the level one, if, if you look at the three tier structure of any, any sort of a risk function in a financial services firm, you got the level one, level two, level three, move the level one, the human out of level one, let the engine do all that because they can automate it end to end. We do automate it end to end for many of our customers. Move the humans up into level two and three where it gets really tricky, the big and difficult exceptions are, and do it in a way that's seamless to the customer experience mm-hmm. so that if, if Brad Harrison or Gary Smith or Brad Harrison Inc. or Gary Smith Limited are trying to start a relationship with, with a particular bank, we don't get caught up in all of the drudgery of investigating who we are. It's seamless to us. We just see it as going off very quickly, but for someone that's got connections or what we call a counterparty network of questionable actors or or flat out you know oligarchs from Russia, right? Sure. We can identify that quickly, hide them off, and, and have a human investigator actually finalize what decision they'll make on on whether they work with those individuals.
1: That that's really right. helpful. What would what would also be helpful, Gary, is is just to hear. You mentioned a couple, but just tell us what are Kind of some of the more common ones that you're addressing, that would be good.
2: Yeah, yeah. We really span the entire gamut of anything financial crime related or bank secrecy act. When I look at it just through the lens of private industry banking and and insurance, that this is not yet talking about any of the government work we do. But but effectively what we go after are typically things like sanction screening, continuous due diligence or enhanced due diligence on individuals. And we're doing that because banks are just so far behind the the volumes of, it's just the volume of everything, right? And uh-huh. yet, I think I read something recently that that each one of us is going to be throwing off 4.2 terabytes of data daily uh, mm-hmm. by the end of 2025, or some some crazy statistic like that. And I still can't figure out how, because I won't be one of them. I don't think my <laughs> data exhaust, as they call it, is that prolific, but but because of all of that and because of the social media networking and because of just everything that's out there, it is extremely difficult to detect who's who. And it's very difficult that if you have a name like Gary Smith, I mean, my name is not rare in the United States. I've gone through our demo and I've I've searched on myself and there is evidently a Gary Smith in my home county and he's a pretty bad dude. And it was a little bit scary to see that because if I ever get a mistake and I did anything. But it did start to explain why several years ago when we were still traveling a lot, I had an issue and was on the watch list for yeah. travel. Um yeah. and I suddenly understood why. Yeah. So we're doing that kind of work where the, the sanction screening, the anti-money laundering, actually digging into, you know, an individual's connections, right? And what they're doing. And we're basically clearing out a massive, massive backlog that have a lot of organizations either getting perilously close to consent orders or they're already in trouble and they need to dig out or they're in so much trouble because their practices were so bad, they are now paying big fines and they know they have to change things in a way that the older set of technologies just is, is incapable of doing right. Like I was talking, when you asked me about the importance of AI. Yes. The alternative that existed before us, and really it was the only solution was a technology from 1965 It was Levenstein's string matching right mm. that wow that you know from our point of view ari and john would tell you that you know back in 2008 when they were really kind of settling in on this it, it, that was a non-starter for them yeah we needed to actually put a science behind it when hence the name name science right those are the things that were being utilized to manage on behalf of our customers and really keep them foul of signing up the wrong people. Mm-hmm. The other side of the equation is, as the regulations change across the globe, especially in in not just Bank Secrecy Act, but, you know, the EU has its standards, right? the different, different countries have their own standard. They are getting much, much more focused on what we call continuous know your customer. So mm-hmm. it's not enough that I'm banking Brad Hairston. I've got to know Brad. I've got to know Brad like daily. I need a snapshot was great back in the old days of the Kodak, but now it's real-time video. I need to know what Brad's doing because when Brad comes to me and asks for another line of credit, that is, you know, $350 million. Do we really know what he's using it for and who he's networking with and, and where that's going? And so uh, it becomes that much more paramount in the, in the whole compliance side of the equation, right? We, we just, The bad guys, Brad, they're winning at an alarming rate. It's not just shocking. It's shocking because answers are out there now, but there seems to be a little bit of a lag in understanding that those answers aren't as difficult as as people would make them seem. And being wedded to an old way of doing things just won't cut it anymore.
1: I watched the news every night with my wife and we're just shocked at, You know, things, things going on around the world. In fact, when you were talking about identity and what a struggle it is to, to truly understand someone's identity, I was reminded of a recent story about a guy involved in a mass shooting. You may recall, I think on the West Coast, that he, he was from Canada and he was here illegally and he's been here for six years or seven years as an imposter. Just living his life, but uh, yeah, this is where AI can be used for good in a a significantly good way.
2: That that's right. It's the only thing that'll keep up with those volumes. There's just no number of humans left on the planet that can be skilled in the appropriate investigative capability set that that will allow that. Right. Not only that, I mean, how many people don't want to do that for a living? Correct.
1: Totally. Yeah. so Gary, quantifying was featured in a Wall Street Journal article recently. Yes. About one of your really interesting client engagements. So you were you've been engaged by a government backed research center yeah. connected with Texas A M University. I'm gonna to have to teach you how to gig 'em and gig them Aggies and-, and do works and everything. So remind uh, me on I will uh, but you, you've been engaged by them to to help probe for weaknesses in drug supply chains. Yeah. So, which really caught my caught my attention and and it was a fascinating read. But tell us more about that. What what role is quantifying playing in this effort?
2: Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Brad. And, and it is, it's, a, it's an a, absolutely fascinating story. It takes a little bit to develop here, so bear with me as I go through it. So the, the Department of Homeland Security has requested from Texas A&M that their center of excellence start looking into this. And this came right out of the White House. This is deemed that much of a priority on the national security implication checklist, if you will. So Mm -hmm. it's a cross-border threat screening and supply chain defense center of excellence. That's what this emanates from. I think when, when I look at it, and I don't certainly have a lot of the answer is because I'm not, you know, we're, we're kept at arm's length, obviously, in in how this is being managed. We're an actor in it. Uh, we're an well, enabling yeah. player is, is probably the, the more appropriate way to put it. Right. When I look at the pharmaceutical world in general, it it gives rise to a lot of concern because drugs are not made the same way they used to be made, right? A mm-hmm. lot of it because of cost structure. And risk and access to certain material or what they call tests, you know, the compounds that ultimately get combined. A lot of that is done through APIs, not the APIs that you and I are are so fond of, Brad. Application programming interfaces, but APIs is in the active pharmaceutical ingredient, right? That's the part of the drug that makes the drug, you know, fight cancer, fight infection, kill pain, whatever the the specific function of that drug is. Those are done through a lot of smaller research shops to defray cost, and I think where we've seen things go as as a result of the pandemic, and you hear everybody's whisperings, or not even whisperings, just outright shouting about the the, the supply chain and the, the the horrible the horrible pain that it's inflicting on all of us. Yeah, I think we're now looking further afield and saying it would be a real problem if we. Couldn't get the right life saving or right maintenance drugs to the population. In fact, that becomes a national security problem, right? That is really what this is targeted at. And specifically, I'm sure you saw in the article, I think one of the examples that Ari referenced was there was a Swiss manufacturer that had a third party shell company that was making the API for them. Well, it turned out like it does in so many shell companies because shell companies typically get set up for not the right intent. They were getting material from really? restricted nations. They were they were dealing with selling savory characters, right? Yeah. And if they pulled the switch down and decided they didn't want us to have that, we're going to be pretty much out of luck, right? Really? We're just buying that. So this, we, we won't be taking any sort of an active role other than we will be presenting... What the network looks like, the extended network and the counterparty network and the shell companies that are involved in this and where the risk exposures really reside in terms of the United States being reliant on, you know, whether it's India, China, wherever those pharmaceuticals might be manufactured.
1: Wow. Wow. This this is such an interesting scenario. And I've got to believe this has been exacerbated, the importance of it. By the pandemic and and yeah. just global supply chain issues in general. That I mean, why why would you say this problem is more important than ever to solve right now? Yeah, for for the very
2: reasons that that you just were taking off there, Brad. Right, we've seen what the supply chain just on the computer chip side has done. Yeah, the automotive industry from basically from automotive to to military. Right, I mean there is a real supply constraint on it. And it's not just necessarily getting the employees and the shipping companies. It's it's getting all of it. If factories are continually up and down and closing because they have an outbreak of COVID, right? Yeah. Whether it's COVID-19, COVID-20, COVID-21, COVID-22, whatever the reasoning behind it is, those disruptions, they remind me of the ripples in a pond. By the time they get to the end ones, they're they're a lot bigger than they were at the, at the epicenter, right? And to have that happen in medicine, as we experienced with the PPE shortages early on in the pandemic, there had been some discussion around it, I know, several years ago, even prior yeah. to COVID. But I think the PPE just completely highlighted a deep, deep risk where well, huh. our healthcare workers were bringing in garbage bags from home to try to protect themselves on the front line. It was just, it was an abysmal thing. You heard about shipments actually in flight being redirected. And I think it doesn't take long to figure out that a lot of harm could come of any sovereign nation that doesn't have enough medicines to keep their population healthy.
1: Hmm. Well, the article also suggested that there's disparate views on just how vulnerable yeah. The pharmaceutical supply chain is. I mean, between the FDA and you know, the pharma manufacturers, and even the the independent advisors that are yeah. that are working in this space. What what are your thoughts on all that?
2: Yeah, it, that to me, Brad, that's the million dollar question. Because how many times have we heard the prognosticators that have said, "No, we're fine. This is just look, the sky isn't falling." You know, Chicken Little just got hit in the head with an acorn. It wasn't more than that. I don't see it that way. If you look, there's a very, very interesting book out that I I think Ari referenced or maybe it was the author of the Wall Street Journal article itself. Rosemary Gibson wrote a book called China Rx. And Mm -hmm. I think she's one of the first early alarm sounders. And in it, there was a quote, and she had said something to the effect that between 2009 and 2020... China had more than doubled its APIs. Again, these, these active yeah. pharmaceutical ingredient manufacturers, right? And again, that's the part of the drug that works. It's not the stuff that's the delivery mechanism, like the whether it's a tablet or a gel or whatever it's in. It's those components of it and their ability to not only find the raw material to make that, but then also for them to manufacture it and put it into flight. I don't see Mm. how a doubling of that, and then I look at like the way insurers are constantly looking at saving money, going to generic drugs, it almost feels like a perfect storm could be forming up around that, right? You look at it and you think, okay, the cost containment means they're going to go to a cheaper supplier. The cheaper supplier means that why would anybody in the United States bother to make that active pharmaceutical ingredient if they already have two or three suppliers, one in China, one in Brazil, one in India, for example. Why would they bother, right? And then you're out of control of the process. And it'll be one little thing, Brad. This is how it always goes, right? We watched it with the PPE, then we Mm -hmm. watched the toilet paper, then we watched it with chips, right? It's always that one little thing that nobody thinks will derail the whole system and disrupt everything. And let me tell you, if you've got people that are high blood pressure, cholesterol drugs, this is a real, real hazard. And I think when I saw some of the numbers that, that you're referencing in that article, and I had gone and done a little bit of research on my own, I thought, no, this is just, it's too fragile. It, it yeah. Fragile in the way a house of cards is fragile. It's great when you're inside, if you're building it out on a picnic table outside in a breeze, so long it could blow over very readily.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a fascinating story. and I, I really appreciate you sharing more about it with us. It's one that we're going to have to keep a close eye on and and see what the results are from from the work that that a m is doing with with your help so gary what's what's next for quantifying tell us tell us more about that as we wrap up today
2: yeah well i've got to be a little pagey brad because sensitive times over here as the cycle of the growth of the company goes, but sure I think when I look at it it's continuing our mission right helping to find the bad guys the bad actors the, the bad individuals from being able to weaponize our our financial and economic systems against us sharing information more readily right it's just a greater benefit to the to society yeah. at large i think that's certainly the area you'll see us really really running for and i think there's you know we've got some tricks up our sleeves there's one of the interesting things i found about quantifying when i when i first got here was it's it's really finding what people don't want found whether it's an individual an asset right a a ship under an illegal registry run under foreign malign influence it's remarkable at, at how we point at all of that, right? And our, yes. I, I always, you know, you know how I am, Brad. You've you known me for years. I'm always reluctant to use the term AI, but that, that our magic AI, our name science and that signal extraction allows us to see patterns over vast quantities of unstructured data that most organizations don't even possess. And they don't possess it for any other reason that the last generation of tools just couldn't consume it, right? Bruce. I you mean, think about when we were, you know, when we were working together at Blue Prism, if we had the unstructured data that was the goldmine. It wasn't the fifteen percent right. of data, but but I think you'll see us doing a lot more in those realms and and really moving the needle in a significant manner to really to to disrupt the bad guys.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, Gary, it's been so much fun having you back on the podcast now. Now with your uh, your new gig at Quantifying, a great example of how AI is uh, is making a difference in, in a really good way. I, I think your mission is uh, is spot on and uh, look forward to, to following you guys and, and just seeing how how things go in that sector. But uh, thanks for being on today to to share about the company and also about the really interesting work that you're doing. And I wish you the very best.
2: Thank you, Brad. It's great to have been here. I really appreciate you having me on and, and maybe we'll come back and, and be able to do an update on this in six months time.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. And to make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out Blueprism.com to learn how SSNC Blue Prism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.